0: I am the mother of 19 children, the baby only 20 months old. I am 43 years old, and I had rather die than give birth to another child. The doctor does not give me any information at all, only to be careful. This letter may sound unreasonable, but the records will show that it is true. I have five boys and seven girls living, two daughters married, One has four children and the other one has five daughters. Have bad health. I need the information for them as well as myself. So for my sake and the sake of humanity, please give me the proper information. Unknown Woman, Letter to Margaret Sanger, 1920s.
1: Welcome to another episode of the Poised, Powerful Parenting Podcast. I'm your host, Sarah Mahan. I coach movement, alignment, and the empowerment that comes from understanding how your body works. This podcast is all about helping regular people adapt to the physical and emotional challenges of new parenthood, and hearing some good stories from people getting the crash course.
0: Hi, I'm sharing with you today a conversation featuring Chicago artist Michelle Hartney. You might remember Michelle from her episode last year, From Art to Advocacy in Maternal Healthcare Issues. A lot of her work focuses on gender, reproductive health, reproductive justice, and reproductive rights. So this ended up being a very timely conversation about her new project, Unplanned Parenthood, Letters to an Army of Millions. In 1928, Margaret Sanger published a book called Motherhood in Bondage, a selection of the 250,000 vulnerable and desperate letters the Planned Parenthood founder received from people with uteruses in the 1920s asking for advice about birth control and contraception at a time when any information about such reproductive health care was deemed Obscene, and disseminating it was punishable by law. Some wrote that they would rather die than be pregnant again. Many were on the verge of suicide. This project also contends with some of the more fraught and problematic aspects of Sanger's legacy, which include her views on white supremacy and eugenics. This project centers these women's stories from long ago. And at times like these, I'm just reminded how valuable sharing of stories can be. So I hope you'll get something interesting and thoughtful out of this conversation with Michelle. She is the first speaker in this interview. The second speaker is Julie Lowe, who is the manager of the 21C Museum Hotel Gallery, where Michelle is in residency. Please see the show notes for ways that you can support or even participate in this project.
2: So this project is called Unplanned Parenthood, Letter to an Army of Millions. I'm asking folks to handwrite letters that were written to Margaret Sanger in the 1920s. These People were desperate to stop having babies and stop getting pregnant. But even disseminating information about birth control was illegal because of the Comstock laws. And Sanger was writing pamphlets that had information about birth control, and these people were just trying to get that information. And she received over 250,000 letters. So many of the letters, the people are suicidal they're living in extreme poverty. they have abusive husbands sometimes. Their husbands were extremely angry at them for withholding sex. That was a really common thing, like their husbands were, would say, "I'm going to go somewhere else if you won't have sex with me and abandon their wives." The project is also about contending with Margaret Sanger's legacy because she supported eugenics and she had ties with white supremacists. So part of the project is to, to talk about that because she's really been celebrated for a really long time, but the racism was kind of left out of the conversation. I think that these stories are so important, but I, I knew it was important to talk about her legacy.
1: And this is really interesting to like, turn it back on the women. So the project is we're writing out these letters, we're copying out these actual letters that were kept. Somehow they kept them. They put them in a book. And we don't we don't know what happened to no. these women. Like obviously they lived the rest of their lives, however long their children grew up well or not. And it's really interesting to actually be writing down somebody else's words and then to be taking the letters and then actually sewing them onto fabric. It's wedding dress fabric, I yeah, believe. it I bought a
2: bunch of old wedding dresses off of eBay, so it's yes, and that's a whole other thing, like receiving these wedding dresses that are like stained and I just wonder about like the marriage and the life behind
1: the women who wore those dresses. Yeah, like what happened at the marriages last? Were they happy what happened?
2: Did they have kids? Did they have unwanted pregnancies? It's just, uh, I really wanted to use that material and just kind of add that layer to the project.
1: One of the things that comes across in these letters is the labor, not just like labor birth, but just the everyday where they're talking about how I have to get clothes for these children. I can't feed everybody. I have to do all of this very hard, very physically intensive housework. Like this was before vacuum cleaners. This was before disposable diapers. This was before dishwashers. Everything had to be done by hand. And just sort of also to be like doing that sewing the way these women might've been, you know, staying up late, mending clothes or, or getting things in order. It's very interesting to like feel like you're connecting with this person who you don't know, but whose voice just comes through so clearly, both like in the action of like reading their words, but also like doing sort of this, this work that similar to like work they might have done.
2: Yeah. I I wish more men were signing up to read letters and to sew. I mean, I guess I can't, I don't know the gender of the folks that, you know, that are I'm not meeting in person because we're sharing pronouns, but, you know, I'm assuming a lot of them are women. And I think this should be a project that only men are engaging in. So they can get it and understand
1: what women go through. Yeah. We're at a really interesting time, aren't we?
2: Yeah. I feel like the project just, it's more important now than ever to like learn from these stories and to realize it really wasn't that long ago that this was going on and you know republicans are coming for birth control next so
1: yeah roe v wade was threatened it's it's been gutted a bunch and now it's done (laughs) women always are coming forward and like sharing their stories and sharing their suffering and i i always wonder if like those stories actually get beyond the group of women who hear you right do they get heard by the people in power do they get heard by men you hear men right now, I've heard of a couple of men talking about like they've gotten vasectomies or they will get a vasectomy, but I don't, I don't know if that's quite, the call to action does not quite feel the same level.
2: Yeah. <laughs> I mean, cause it's, this is also about just the lack of agency over our own bodies. Like just that someone's taking the choice, go get a vasectomy. You have the choice. Like yeah. it's having your freedom taken away from you. And that's
3: so traumatizing, damaging. I do think it's also interesting thinking of audience participants mm-hmm. that even though it's women, and we're probably getting people who have carried children at some point. I'm sure there will be non non mothers who participate, but it does create a space. You're reading these personal stories. We're sharing the stories we're reading and writing or sewing, but then the project also creates a space for those people in the room to have an intimacy and a sharing moment in mm-hmm. which these letters are shared to us where we're writing them, but then we're sharing our own. And it's creating this very important space and connection that I think, especially as a mother, we lose, you know, we're trying to constantly find who, who we can talk to, mm-hmm. you know, who's got a shared experience, but then, you know, we're talking about it in a very different context here. Yeah.
1: We were all just talking about being tired, (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know, and, and we have certain advantages and we're tired and like, here's one, where is it? I have had six children at 26. I look 40 just through ignorance of birth control, being poor. I have no way of enjoying myself. It's the wash tub one day, the sewing machine, the next, you can picture two young people and the children we have a lot of like what comes through is, is fatigue. Yes. I mean, even just like to take the time to write this letter and Margaret Sanger being like this important person and you know, interfacing with like important people and rich people. Or potential ally. Yeah, like you're probably thinking about like, oh, well, what like I'm thinking as I'm writing, you know, as I copied a letter, like, well, what details did this person try to include? You know, what did she leave out? Cause we don't know. We only know like parts sort of the idea of like what are you presenting of yourself in order to be seen as deserving of help. Yes. You know, and that ties in with yeah, Margaret Singer was
0: somewhat helpful to some people
1: and less helpful to others. And this is like baked into all of our systems, right? Is like who who actually deserves to be helped and who is undeserving. It's like something that's still going on. I mean, it just seems so traumatic to also like to be enduring this and to then also like you have to like think about how you're coming off and yep
2: some of them are apologetic like when they're talking about their husbands who were drunks and you know i don't i don't want you to think it's like they're kind of like i don't want you to think bad of him <laughs> and it's like well he's an asshole and he's like it's just a really common thing that was upsetting is they were like i don't want you to think i don't love my children yes yeah that's a normal thing even now like if you're complaining about how hard it is it's like well i love my kids it's like they felt like they had to explain themselves to her and and then the other thing that really gets me is the mental health issues that Mm -hmm. women they called it the nerves they had the nerves Mm -hmm. or they're nervous and they were struggling through like serious depression and breaking down yeah they were breaking down (laughs) their bodies were breaking down these people in their 20s who had so many health issues and they were still having to have these babies and do all this labor with major health issues.
1: Nutrition was probably not great. No. no. I mean, we know, like, we know as, like, even now, like, you can have, like, calcium leached from your bones. Like, people think it's like, oh, the baby eats what you eat. It's actually they they absorb directly from your body. So, like, it's it's really the mother who is... I mean, just imagine like how depleted. That's a common thing too. They would be like,
2: I only weigh like 87 pounds. I'm wasting Mm -hmm. away. Like a lot of them are super thin and just like they were physically wasting away.
1: I think tuberculosis probably comes up quite a bit. Yes. Actually, I think this happened in my own family. I'm trying to remember the story. My mother talking about like her aunt got pregnant at like 47 or something. And I think she had tuberculosis. She was unable to care for her youngest child, who was raised by his oldest sister, who was like 20 and married. And yeah, that would have been around kind of this era, too, That's which is, it is. <laughs> it's yeah, 100 years ago. Exactly we are. Yeah, we went 100 years forward, and now we're going 100 years back. I think there's a lot of uncertainty. There's a chapter,
2: I think it's called Voices of the Children. It was teenage girls writing singer talking about like, you know, my mom died in childbirth and now I have to take care of my mm-hmm. siblings or they wanted information about birth and control because or they were afraid to get married because mm. like, I've already done this. Like I've been raising yeah. kids for 10 years and I'm only 20. Like there are just so many like levels of pain and and yeah, we're going back. So that's going to be a lot of people's realities. I mean. The families who don't believe in birth control at all. Like I feel so bad for girls living in 2022 who mm-hmm. just don't have a choice.
1: Yeah. And either that like suffering is, again, it's not made visible. And I think part of this is like making that made visible or it's just not seen as sort of like, oh, you know, that's that's a woman's lot. That's Eve fell. So, mm-hmm. you know, there we are. Uh, that's her one. Job. That's her job. Yeah. 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 You know. Human mother. But I hope that this will be very cathartic again, just to that the idea of these women's voices being like, you know, shut up in a file somewhere for ages and now like they're speaking again. I think that's really cool to get to honor these women. People know about Margaret Sanger, but there is not a lot of honor and respect for all of these women who are sometimes seen as sort of like this like faceless mass you know, especially some of the like lower class women that, I mean, this is an interesting historical document. We don't always get writing from okay. women who are mothers in their own voices. Now, people, you talked about how they used this data demographically. They actually did catalog these letters and talk about the different concerns and kind of use it to drum up support for birth control or how did that work they you said there were like certain yeah, categories
2: kind of, yeah sort of categorizing like the age mm-hmm. of the mother how many children she had they tried to gauge like mm-hmm. those who were living in extreme poverty versus those some of them gave the amount of money their husbands made every week there was so much information that like the different diseases they struggled with the, the different struggles during childbirth itself
3: there's so much
2: information that was given. I'm curious if someone has gone back into that. Because in the back of the book, it says we only went through, I
1: think, 90,000
2: of the letters, I think. It
1: was. Yeah, and I wonder if now, like, 250,000 with, like, computers and AI and, like, if that wasn't done recently, that's probably, like, a new way of, like, scanning all them in. And, yeah. Like, for keywords and... Be- yeah, mining all that data. Yeah, be pretty interesting. But it is interesting that they did like 100 years ago, this kind of data collection and, and try to sort of lay that out yeah. in a way to gain support for their cause, which we might think of as like, that's like a more recent yeah. sort of way of of doing things. I mean, I've noticed the letters I've seen, and again, this is just one portion of it, There's they're very young, younger than me and have so many children or you have women into their 40s Yes. Who are like, I can still get pregnant. I'm old. Some of these are very young. Some of them are women who are in their 40s and they're like, my childbearing years have not come to a close, but I'm done. But some of them talk about being married as teenagers. Gosh, you talk about
3: geriatric pregnancy. Yes. I'm geriatric now, but you imagine what it would have been like to be a 40 year old. Now it's like 40 year old. You're like, yeah, I mean, they still call you geriatric, but it's a whole different reality. Yes. Well, like, I would think in the 20s, like to be yeah. a 40 year old, your life expectancy wasn't even 80, probably. I mean, that's a very interesting reality of mm-hmm. like, imagine that perception of that.
1: Well, isn't that like a multi, what do they call it? Grand multi is like you had a lot of babies and things like your risk of hemorrhage goes up. Your uterus just gets like kind of fragile.
3: Especially year after year, these are like pause years. It's just like every single.
1: Yeah, yeah a lot of them say like every year a baby. Yeah, six, yeah. seven years of marriage, six children. I am kind of curious. Like I know Margaret Sanger was like getting in a lot of trouble for birth control, but this is like the birth control wasn't great. Like they had diaphragms. I think they told people about douching, which now we know is like that's not. And then, like, some people came back from World War I with, with condoms. That's, like, my understanding. But, like, women couldn't access those. It just is very striking to me that, like, what they have is even, like, extremely limited. It, yeah. I mean, was it wasn't
3: birth control as in a material. It was educational birth control. Just yeah, even just, was, like, this well, is how you get pregnant. How do I get pregnant? How yeah. is this working?
2: Right, people so, didn't know that the man ejaculating inside of them, like versus not, in, like that—that that could be a way to prevent pregnancy.
3: Hard to believe in our current day and time. It's just mm-hmm. you know, like, a group of people. This, <laughs> i like, but you have to understand that perspective is hard for us to understand. But when you read the story, you can't ignore that these people are saying the same thing over and over and over again. That mm-hmm. this is the reality of most women in mm-hmm. the country. They don't understand how reproduction works. Yeah. Fundamentally. Period.
1: And I'm sure that still exists today. Illegally, in a lot of states, sex education is not legally required to yeah. be medically accurate. Yeah.
3: That's also crazy.
1: Right. Just teach abstinence and... Don't have sex.
3: That's what you have to do. Which was not obviously an option for these women. Yeah. Because their husbands
2: were, like, forcing them to. Yeah. And, and the other thing was, like, some of them would get pregnant four months after having a baby. And like, I didn't want to have sex like when I, it's like, you're tired and you're healing and you're, and like, they didn't have a choice. You didn't have a choice.
1: It does strike me like, this was around the time of Rivey Wade. I looked up stats on this because like my mom was like doing this in college. They were campaigning for marital rape Mm. to be a crime. Yeah. And- it's, like, stunning, and I looked at the stats. It was, like, the last state to, like, ratify that was in, like, 1994. So around the same time if Roe v. Wade was saying, like, mm-hmm. yeah, if if your husband, and often these were domestic violence or divorce situations, so it was especially fraught. But basically, cops or judges were like, well, you're married, so, like, that's it's not... not rape. Yeah, it's not rape. It doesn't count. And the fact that we're still in these places of having conversations about what counts as rape... Yeah again, who is deserving of help and compassion. I mean, it's like you see how all these things tie together. So thank you for
3: creating a space for us to have this conversation and giving us the material to read, to process ourselves. Mm-hmm. You know, we all are going to come to a different conclusion, but it's just, it's relentless when you're reading the stories. And that relentlessness teaches you something.
1: Yeah. This is going to be ongoing. People are copying the letters. They're sewing the letters. And then I think you said you're going to make an installation with all of these pieces patchwork together. Or- They're going to be individual pieces, including mm-hmm. porcelain, almost like
2: structures to or armatures to like suspend them from. And then I'm going to paint the porcelain with some of the flowers and, and plants that have been used to in, induce abortions when they didn't have access to it so it'll almost like mimic fine china that people get for their wedding so i'm kind of going to mimic that style so they'll each be individual pieces because i really want to like be folks to be able to focus on one letter at a time instead of i considered making some kind of collage thing yeah but i really want like intimacy with each letter
1: so people sort of be able to walk in between and through the different letters yeah yeah if they're hanging. Okay. I think I can visualize that. I think it'll be cool to see actually realized Again, honoring each of these different people. Yeah. I think at least is, is something that we can do. Yes. Thanks for talking to me and thanks for sharing this. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Poised Powerful Parenting. I'd love it if you shared this episode with a friend who you think would benefit from it. If you'd like to
0: know more about movement and mindfulness for new and expecting parents, head over to poisedpowerfulparenthood.com for support. I hope you find the support you need because you are growing and changing too.